It's time for Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And here is your host, Inside Towers business editor, John Celentano. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. The Q1 2022 issue is in production and will be available soon. For more information or to subscribe, visit insidetowers.com intelligence. Our topic today is timely. Wireless carriers are in high gear with their 5G deployments at towers, small cells, and distributed antenna systems. But the physical construction of these sites only comes after a long process of these carriers obtaining zoning licenses and permits from the, from the municipalities that must review and approve carrier applications for location and design of these sites. And that process is ongoing. The FCC has established rules for the timing of these approvals and what municipalities can charge carriers for small cells. But the municipalities and more and more their citizens want to say in what sites are proposed and where they will be located. Here with me to talk about these telecommunications land use requirements and some of the challenges in meeting them is Greg Rapisarda, partner at the law firm of Saul Ewing, Arnstein and Lehrer and chair of the firm's telecommunications practice. Greg is also a board member of the Maryland DC Wireless Association. Greg, welcome to Tower Talks. Thank you very much, John. It's great to be here. Um, give us give us an overview of your telecommunications practice, uh, Greg. All right, John, thanks a lot, I will. So Saul Ewan has had a telecommunications practice uh, since before I got here. I started here in 04 uh, as a summer associate at a law school. And um, or prior to en- prior to finishing law school, and then I joined here uh, when I finished law school. And at that time, uh, we were handling land use, zoning, uh, contract disputes, and then more high level litigation uh, at the federal level under the Telecommunications Act. Uh, I got a chance to work with you know under under the tutelage of a giant in this industry from the legal side of things, Carl Nelson, and um, I was mentored by him. And then as we move forward, um, I started handling the land use and zoning uh, side of things. And uh, anyway, that that is the primary, the bulk of my practice, I would say, is 75%, 70% uh, land use zoning. Uh, and then the other 25 to 35%, if we go a little bit over 100, um, is is more contract disputes and I'd say litigation avoidance in the tower industry. We mm-hmm. we sometimes file suit, but it's usually you know we're usually the goal is to avoid litigation. <laughs> well, sort of a last case option, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to but speed to market is your primary goal. Uh, than taking a landlord to court or taking a jurisdiction to court, uh, you know, usually is not in your top top three to five <laughs> prospects or next steps. So, what what does the the zoning and permitting approvals process actually involve? I mean, what what do the municipalities approve here? Well, under and this this goes. 
this changes or is different state by state, but under the Telecommunication Act, they do um, acknowledge local zoning authority for the for placement and location of antennas and facilities. Uh, which so then you know there is no pre there's no federal preemption there, and so then that falls under local zoning laws, and it's different state to state. Uh, my practice is primarily Maryland, D.C. and Virginia, um, but our firm we also we have handled and do handle uh, telecommunications related uh, land use zoning litigation litigation avoidance uh, throughout. Uh, really, the, our East Coast footprint, uh, somewhat out of Chicago, uh, but mostly, you know, Boston down through Virginia, uh, Pennsylvania. We have several offices in Pennsylvania that handle it, too. So it changes. In Maryland, um, the process is quasi-judicial if there is discretion. And, you know, if the county has discretion or the local jurisdiction, it could be a municipality. If they have discretion to approve something, then in Maryland it's a quasi-judicial process, uh, which means we follow the rules of evidence. It's similar to a court. It's much more informal, uh, which cuts both ways, is good and bad sometimes. Um, and then in Virginia, it's considered, frankly, it's a legislative process. You still go through... Uh, a, it seems like a judicial process, but the standard of of their discretion, the the breadth of their discretion, is huge in Virginia, and so it's a different animal there, where it's it's almost it's more akin to lobbying and persuasion without any type of legal foundation or standard of review, standard of uh, you know the legal standards that you would have. You would have as a uh, as a framework in Maryland. You don't have that in Virginia. That's interesting. Uh, you know, this may be a, an obvious question, but why why is a, a you know a zoning and permitting process necessary uh, as as part of this? Well, it goes. It really kind of goes back to the heart of zoning and and what the purpose of zoning is, and that is to allow for some type of local. Uh, you know, look at the character of a neighborhood or uh, the design, uh, the development of a neighborhood or a series of neighborhoods in an area. And they, the purpose of it is to give some local flavor to the decision-making on that development. And, you know, we have codes. Every county in Maryland or municipality um, and municipality has a different zoning code, right. um, and so you know, and same with Virginia, uh, the way counties have, uh, even though that's a a different animal there. Like I said, there's still zoning codes that you have to abide by. Uh, they have more discretion to deny you or um, or approve you in Virginia, um, mm -hmm. but they still have that you have to abide by. Mm -hmm. So what's what's been your experience in dealing with these local jurisdictions uh, um, who ultimately grant these uh, permits and licenses? Right. Well, for the most part, um, we have a really good relationship working throughout Maryland and Virginia uh, with the bulk of with with the vast majority 
of decision makers. You know, whether that be at the you know the director of planning and zoning or the staff for plan the planning and zoning staff up through the various decision making bodies, whether it be an administrative law judge in some area in some places, uh, it could be a three or a five panel, you know, decision maker panel mm-hmm. like a board of appeals, a board of zoning appeals, up through uh, you know planning commissions that can have twelve, fifteen members, and then boards of supervisors or county councils that would be the ultimate decision maker. Uh, and those are again decision making bodies that usually have nine, seven, eleven, usually an odd number, so that mm-hmm. they don't run mm-hmm. into two ties. So you you mentioned that you know that you want to try to avoid any kind of litigation at all. But what what would you say you found to be the most successful uh, or a successful approach to to getting the the uh, the, the applications through and and uh, and the, and the the permits and approvals issued? So yeah. So first off, um, I think the first thing is you got to know the code. You got to know the specifics about that code. And so usually before I would have any conversation with whether I know the person at that county or not, um, I would look at the code, look at the project, basic project details of what we're doing, where Mm -hmm. we're proposing it, and then look at what's permitted under the code. And then approach that jurisdiction really in a cooperative way to say, hey, this is what we're thinking. Here's what we need. Tell them why we need it. You know, it's the, whether it's coverage or capacity and have good ways of explaining that. And if there's a way to illustrate it, you know, through RF maps or otherwise, um, you know, be able to show that to them and and really approach them in a non-adversarial way. And then with, by looking at everything ahead of time, making sure that, to the extent that we can, we say, do you agree that this is the path forward? Mm-hmm. And because we framed it this way, and this is what we're trying to accomplish in this area of the county, and here's what the code defines as you know, antennas or facility, and then here's federal, some federal law overlay, um, you know, whether it be Telecommunications Act and then, you know, recently updated through 6409, uh, hopefully arriving at an agreement that here's the path forward to approval. Here's the, here's the review process. Sometimes it's by right, uh, which is absolutely, if there's, a, if there's a way to proceed in a by right um, review process, that's what we want to do, rather right. than discretion. Right. Interesting. I mean, the, the process is more than just document submittal and, and review. When, when, do, when do public hearings come into play? Right. So the public hearings come into play. Public hearings are one of the last things. And so the way that, you know, I kind of learned how to always handle how to handle these cases and the way that I and the way that we've been successful with this is to, uh, you know, by the time we get to the public hearing, the goal is that there should be very little surprises. You know, it's it's the exception to the rule that we're going to be surprised at a public hearing. Um and even if that's the case, 
particularly in Maryland, what we want to do is make sure that we have developed a record is, you know, that's, that's a, it's going to be successful, that even if there is discretion to approve or deny, if that body denies us, then we have a legal record um, that we can use to appeal and reverse the re, uh, reverse the denial and force an approval. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do in Maryland, and that's because it's quasi-judicial and there's a standard of review. We have the, it's, it's from the 80s, the Schultz v. Pritt standard. It comes out of case law. And then, you know, and then it was updated about 10 years ago, eight years ago with um, Baltimore County versus Loyola. But it just restated that if something is a conditional use or a special exception, then it is presumed to be compatible in the in whatever zoning district it is if you meet ABC or XYZ criteria in the code. And so what that means is that once we meet ABC or XYZ criteria in the code, we've now met our burden and we've established that record and the burden shifts to if someone wants to oppose us, then they have to not only just present their evidence, but they have to overcome our burden. And so that that's kind of a nice legal burden shifting in Maryland that we have. Uh, we don't have that in Pennsylvania. We don't have that in Virginia or D.C. Yeah. Um, but we still take a similar approach, which is you educate, you cooperate, mm-hmm. you, uh, and then you persuade that way as opposed to uh, in an adversarial way, uh, try to avoid that because, frankly, bureaucrats and um, administrators can easily, you know, you don't want to get into a power struggle with someone who uh, really doesn't have, there's nothing stopping them from engaging in a long-term power struggle. You know, they don't have a, a client necessarily that's saying, you you have to go, you know, this is important, right. go get this. right. Right? I mean, so that's why the litigation is few and far between, too. Good. We, you know, Inside Towers has covered a lot of situations, and we've heard anecdotally about some of these public hearings. There's a lot of objections sometimes, either because, um, you know, residents don't like the look of what's being proposed or the location or concerns about radiation interference uh, and and all sorts of things. I'm just wondering, uh, have you run into this uh, this type of uh, uh, vocal outcry from from uh, citizens at hearings, or uh, um, uh, the areas you cover are, you know, is pretty much a, um, a smoother process? No, I'd say. I mean, some parts in Maryland, you know, northern Baltimore County, uh, that horse country out there, those are some of the toughest, toughest. Uh, places to get zoning approvals. And then also in Northern Virginia um, is very tough. And, you know, every first of all, everywhere in Northern Virginia, uh, you're going to find evidence, Civil War evidence. And so you have uh, SHPO issues and concerns. So then you have the, you know, the Section 106 and the SHPO issues down there. And, you know, you're going to, so you, you have to deal with that on top of the local. But, uh, Lots of opposition in different places. So it ranges from these rural counties where they want and need and welcome it, 
and then rural counties where there is some base layer of coverage, mm-hmm. maybe not maybe not good emergency services coverage, maybe not first at, you know, from an AT&T perspective, uh, maybe not good data, maybe not good streaming, um, but some type of coverage. And those, and a lot of times in those, in those places, folks are adamantly opposed um, based on view shed only. You know, like we don't want our view impeded. Uh, and so... It really depends on the makeup of the, the decision maker, whether they're going to say how they're going to weigh out your right to a view versus your neighbor's right to use their property for right. a purpose that suits them, you know, and, and whether it be for their benefit because they're getting rent or leasing space or for the carriers. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, look, this this is this has been great, uh, Greg. Um, any any uh, final thoughts or, or, or concluding remarks sure. you'd like to leave with us? Yeah. Well, one thing that came to mind is that, like, one of the things we've seen an increase of, and so we had this mentality that was an adversarial mentality, where certain neighborhoods and certain community groups would organize to oppose the telecommunications industry, no matter what. And what I've seen in the last 10 years is an inc- these are the folks, these individuals who are adversarial to the industry, they are more a preservationist mentality. They have been going into planning. And I have seen in the most, from the most rural to the most urban um, jurisdictions, there are people on staff I wouldn't say it's a major. It's not a majority of people yet in most in most instances, um, but it's a concern because the people that are going into planning and zoning from the county side of things uh, often have an anti telecom and anti development mentality, uh, and they they act abs- they. They actually see themselves, they see their position as being the one, you know, the preserver of the status quo, which would mm-hmm. be no no wireless uh, or no broadband, no um, first net, no emergency services, no towers, and they they take that position. Uh, and, and we've just seen that more and more, you know, I, it was in Northern Virginia, it's certainly in the counties in Maryland, Montgomery County, Prince George's County, some, more Montgomery, uh, Howard County it's creeping in, you know, where there are people in planning and zoning that rather than understand how people use their property, just take farming for instance, right? Farming is pretty much any agricultural use of someone's property. And now you have people in there that because they want to somehow control what people do with their property, they almost see themselves as the as the gatekeepers to what people can do or cannot do. Hmm. You know, they're making decisions that limit, oh, well, that's outside of farming. You have to get a special approval for that. That, if they're doing that with farming, you can imagine what they're doing with telecommunications. Um, you know, most recently, Montgomery County came up with this really complicated 
review, and they, they've come up with a, a chart that says there are 15 different types of telecommunications applications. And, you know, I mean, and they're interpreting their code in these arbitrary and capricious ways, and we're actually in the middle of working with Montgomery County on that right now. And I say we, meaning the Maryland D.C. Wireless Association, uh, and probably about 25 or 30 uh, stakeholders in the telecom industry, tower companies, uh, vendors, uh, SIDAC, carriers, they're all involved in mm-hmm. that. County mm-hmm. is creating these hurdles. They're arbitrarily interpreting certain regulations, local regulations, in a way that apply differently. Now they've come up with this whole 15 different types of application. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they're, and these are for by right. This is one of the first times I've seen where the the hurdles they're creating in the by right process. You know, it should be by right means your engineer. It's all engineering. There should be no legal persuasion, right? It's all engineering. If you meet these wind, uh, you know, all the safety guidelines, and it's designed to withstand a certain wind load and a certain ice load, and you know, it's it should be very exact from an engineering standpoint, and then it's approved. You get the permit and you go build it. Instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a situation like this with Montgomery County, you actually have all these different people involved, like lawyers, outside counsel, Maryland DC Wireless. We're we're all working on these interpretations and and trying to fine tune, you know, the reasons that what Montgomery County is doing is frankly illegal. It's arbitrary, capricious, and um, and, and that's unlawful. They that's. That's the one thing zoning can't be. Zoning decisions and planning decisions can't be as arbitrary and capricious of anything. And uh, and they are. So they're trying to now, now that it's been pointed out to them, frankly, they're coming back and it looks like there's going to be a double down, uh, double down on, all right, let's find a way to justify what we've been doing and going forward and in a way that, you know, Frankly, I think it it, it 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 should be much simpler, and it really could be if everybody just could be a little bit humble and just <laughs> yep made a mistake there should have you know should have interpreted that a different way. Let's we're all working together. Sometimes this is complicated. You know, a little bit of humility would go a long way. And uh, I don't know, we're not seeing it so far, so we'll see. Well, it sounds like you have your work cut out for you, but we're, you know, we're very interested in this and we'll continue to follow it. But um, uh, certainly interesting perspectives that uh, uh, you're making us aware of. But how, how can uh, interested parties find out more about um, Saul Ewing's telecom practice? Uh, well, let's see. You can go to www.saul.com. Uh, you can email me directly, and, and my email is greg, G-R-E-G, dot Rapisarda, which is my last name, R-A-P-I-S-A-R-D-A, at Saul, S-A-U-L, dot com. You can email me or just go to www.saul, S-A-U-L, dot com, and, um, and just reach out because I, I would, there are often things I'm engaged on, get paid for and I'm handling and there are other things that 
I'm engaged in, not you know, on a on a pro bono or not even on a on a in a client engagement, just because it is relevant and and important to the industry and to the you know the telecom uh, the development of the telecom industry in Maryland, Virginia, D.C. and all that. And so uh, I am happy. I talk to people all the time. And if I can help them, great. If not, I, I can at least try to point them in the right direction to where they can get the help they need, anything great. related to telecom. So great. so you're planning to attend ConnectX next week. We'll, we'll look forward to seeing you there. And, yeah, that um, sounds forward to it. I've never been to Denver. <laughs> um, I've been. It's interesting. It's mile high for sure. Um, but look, uh, thanks, Greg. Look, this has been an interesting conversation, very informative. And uh, as I said, we'll, we'll continue to monitor the situation. And I want to thank everyone else for listening in today. Um, please enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.